Awesome. Hey, glad to have you uh, in the house of God uh, with us uh, this morning. Man, we are filled with uh, anticipation and expectation, not only for what God will do uh, this morning, but what he will do tonight uh, in Seattle. We're going back one more time tonight, 6 p.m., and uh, it's just going to be an incredible time uh, in the presence of God. Hey, a couple things uh, we just wanted to put on your radar. Uh, number one, uh, we've got these special keys and pursuit keychains that we're going to be handing out to our first 700 guests. And uh, so we're going to encourage you to show up early and find a seat. We know that there are some folks who traveled really from great distances last month who just weren't able to get in because by about 530, the, the room was double the double the attendance that it had capacity for. And so we're going to encourage you to get here early and uh, we're, we're handing out these keys. But, but really, these keys and keychains really serve, I think, as a prophetic reminder that God has given us keys to the kingdom in this region. And so whether you place it on your desk at work or hang it on your review mirror or put it on your fridge somewhere, it, every time you see this, I, I want you to remind yourself that God has called me for such a time as this. And uh, we're going to continue to see God do some incredible things uh, in and through the lives of people who are just, just crazy enough to be obedient to what God has uh, asked us uh, to do. Uh, tonight we're also doing uh, baptisms. We got several folks coming to be baptized, including my seven-year-old. He's gonna be baptized tonight. And I'm gonna have to hold him down a, a little longer. He's been bad this week. And so, anyways, somebody said, do I have to sign up? No, just show up, just show up. You know how pursuit baptisms work, just show up. We'll make room for you in the tank and, and uh, we just, we just believe in following the Lord through the waters of baptism. And if you're here or you've got a friend who's here or, 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 or you know about who hasn't yet been water baptized, get them, get them to Seattle tonight. And uh, we're going to just partner with people in faith as they really cross over from old life unto uh, new life. Hey, just one programming note. Uh, tonight in Seattle, pre-service prayer is going to happen in the basement of Philadelphia Church. It's going to start at 4.30 p.m. And uh, if you want to join us for a pre-service prayer, you're more than welcome to do so. It's probably your best way to get a guaranteed seat is to show up early and pretend you know how to pray. And so anyways, <laughs> 4.30 tonight, we're going to rally in the basement of Philadelphia Church and we're going to pray. And uh, we're, I'm just filled with unusual expectation for tonight. And so, you, you know, in, in Scripture, the Bible says the Lord did miracles through the hands of the apostles. But then in another place in the book of Acts, the Bible says, then the Lord did unusual miracles through the hands of the apostles. And so I, I'm always expected for God to do good and be good and pour out more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. But, but there are certain moments in our spiritual history by which God fills me with unusual expectation. And I have that for tonight. And so I don't want you to miss out if you could join us. We're just believing for God to do some amazing things. Hey, this morning I'm going to share with you a sermon out of the book of 2 Kings, chapter 13. 2 Kings 13. And some of you may have not even been aware that, that that's a book in the Bible. It is. It's in the Old Testament. And it tells us some of the prophetic journey and the history of the nation of Israel. And it really centers around two primary characters. The first being Elisha and the second being a king named Joash. And Elisha was the prophetic protege of Elijah. Elijah, when he went up in a chariot of fire at the end of his life, he told Elisha, ask for anything that you want. And Elisha said, I want a double portion of whatever's been on your life. 
And if you were to read the narrative in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you would know that Elijah had seven major miracles in his life. And Elisha had 14. And God was faithful to answer his prayer as the mantle of Elijah comes on Elisha and a double portion blessing is exhibited in and through his life. But 2 Kings 13 actually records the closing moments of Elisha's life. He's sick and he's about to die and he has an interaction with a king named Joash that I believe charts the spiritual trajectory of the nation of Israel. And I believe that in a lot of ways this is a sermon for this moment in our church. It's a sermon for your life regardless of where you're at on this spiritual journey. And I believe that by God's spirit he's going to speak to you in profound ways this morning. In 2 Kings Chapter 13, starting in verse 14, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he would die. And Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him, and he wept over Elisha, saying to him, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Let me tell you about Joash this morning, friend. Joash was a wicked king, but he didn't start out that way. In fact, he was raised in the temple until he was seven years old. He was instructed by the priests for many years of his life. He ruled Israel for 40 years, but when his mentor died, Joash reverted back to the worship of false idols. Hear me, friend. The true test of commitment in your life is when a good thing dies, can you stay faithful to the followership of Christ Jesus? In fact, everyone eventually dies. In fact, the death rate is 100%. But here's the greatest tragedy. Not everyone truly lives. And when something in your life unexpectedly ceases to exist, what happens to your faith? What about when that relationship ends? What about when you get let go from that job? What about when that dream seems to not come to fruition? What about in the midst of betrayal? What about in the midst of failure? The question is not when will I get hurt or when will I face disappointment, but instead, what will my response be when I feel like life is unfair? I love this. Watch what the Bible says in the book of Job. In fact, many historians believe that Job is actually the earliest book that's written in the Old Testament, even before the book of Genesis. Watch what the Bible says in Job 1. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. <laughs> At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship. Hear me, friend. My job is not to provide answers to all of life's questions, but instead to point you to the one who is worthy of worship in the midst of your questioning. As a pastor, I perform weddings and funerals on the same day. 
I grieve with families who have had miscarriages and then I dedicate new babies often in the same week. I hold victory and defeat in the same hands and I offer them both to God as a sacrifice of praise. I can't afford to allow what I don't understand to be the framework for how I view the one who created the heavens and the earth. In fact, God asked Job a rhetorical question in Job 38. Were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, do you understand? I just feel like the crowning achievement of the life of a believer is that in the midst of trial, tribulation, persecution, unexpected highs and unexpected lows, our first response is to return worship to God. I don't give thanks for all things, but I ought to give thanks in all things. And Job had some of the worst friends in the planet and one of the worst wives on the planet. Their advice to him, curse God and die. His response, even if I fall down, I'm going to find myself in worship. I don't know about you, but I serve a God who is faithful at every elevation in life. He is faithful on the mountaintop of my victory, and he is faithful in the valley of the shadow of death. And so if I serve a God who is faithful at every elevation, then let the song of my heart be worship at every elevation. I'm not just giving God thanks when times are good, when all my miracles are delivered overnight, when all of my prayers are answered in under 60 seconds. I serve a God who is worthy of praise even when nothing else in my life makes sense. If you're gonna fall down, friend, fall down and worship because God will exalt the lowly. God will exalt the humble. God will take you right up out of that miry clay and place your feet on a firm foundation. Joash was faithful, hear me, until one day the previous structure of his life disappeared. My goal is not to train you for dependence on me. I want to inspire you to depend on God. See, our human temptation is to put people on pedestals and then lose our faith in God when man disappoints us. But friend, that type of living is unsustainable. What I found with church is that it oftentimes operates as the lattice structure for our lives. It helps us grow in the right direction. But friend, allow this structure to help inspire a deep commitment to a long obedience in the same direction. The reason Joash was weeping over Elisha was because the chaos of war pushed him to his breaking point. I see this in church all the time. If you only show up at church when crisis happens in your life, then you aren't living from glory to glory. You're living from problem to problem. Church isn't an emergency room. It's a health club. Church isn't a cruise liner. It's a battleship. Church isn't a social club. It's a spiritual house. Church isn't a stable environment, it's a greenhouse. Church isn't a museum, it's a laboratory for God to do his best work in your life. No, don't wait for crisis in order for you to return to your roots. Because faith might initiate in crisis, but the only way that it's sustained is through spiritual practice. See, I'm learning this lesson myself. Oh, please don't misunderstand me this morning, friend. This is not a look at me I have obtained. 
This is a let's do this thing together so we can stand strong for the next generation. Oh, the church doesn't exist to showcase the talent of a select few, but instead to prepare the people of God for the mission of God as we gather to glorify the God who is working all things together for the good of those who love him. Success is not the result of the decision I make in the foxhole. It's the commitment I keep once the battle is over. It's amazing to me how spiritual people get when they get pulled over. You go ahead, find your prayer language real quick. All of a sudden, we're, we're praying these hero of the faith prayers. Lord, I know I've been bad. God, I know I don't deserve it. But if you have any mercy left in your heart, let this parking ticket pass over me. I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. I've been set free from the bondage of the law. God, just do this thing for me one more time. <laughs> we get in crisis and we start making covenants with the Lord. But what happens as soon as the crisis is over, the impetus or the motivation to make those commitments ceases with it. And God doesn't author your crisis, but if you let him, he'll use it. And he'll use it for developmental good in your life. And I don't just want to have faith when things are bad. Like, God, if you just get me out of this jam, I'll really serve you. I want to have faith even when times are good. Because can I tell you when times are good? That's when you're tempted most to lean on your own understanding. That's when you're tempted most to boast in your own strength. That's when you're tempted most to start to take the credit for the good things in your life. But scripture says, lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on confidence in your own flesh, but instead acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways and he in fact will make your path straight. It took crisis to bring Joash back to his roots. But when the crisis fades, will the son of man find faith on the earth? Let us be those who stand strong in every season of life. In verse 15, the Bible says this, Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And Joash did so. Now take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. And the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the enemies. Friend, it's time to get your bow and your arrows because it's time to fight. We need prophetic preaching that calls people to action. I refuse to pastor you to death or pastor you to sleep and allow you to become disengaged in the spiritual season that we're in. Friend, it's time to fight. It's time to fight because a region hangs in the balance. It's time to fight because our kids deserve a church they're excited to attend. It's time to fight because we're made in the image of a warrior king. It's time to fight because this city is crying out for sons and daughters to take their rightful place. It's time to fight because if our nation could have been saved by good preaching and great programs, we would have already been saved. It's time to fight because what we do echoes in eternity. It's time to fight because we will be the people who wrestle with God and men and prevail.
That's why I need Aaron and her to stand with me. I need Caleb and Joshua to march with me. I need Esther and Mordecai to pray with me. I need Ruth and Naomi to walk with me. I need to find your place on the wall pursuit because it's time to fight. And here's what I found. Warfare is greatest when breakthrough is closest. You know, we're swimming upstream and the waves are getting wild, but friend, do not grow weary in well-doing, but instead set your hand to the plow and do not look back. No wonder your kids are acting up. No wonder your relationships are stressing you out. No wonder you feel like your mind is all messy. No wonder you're struggling with old habits. Your breakthrough has already been established. Your miracle has already been sent in the mail. Your deliverance is already on the calendar. All you've got to do is keep your eyes on Jesus. Watch what the Bible says in Daniel 10. And the angel of the Lord appeared and said to Daniel, Do not be afraid. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom has resisted me for about 21 days. <laughs> Daniel and his friends had been carried off into Babylonian captivity. The nation was under judgment. They were ruled by a wicked king who tried to outlaw every form of spiritual practice that you could imagine. And so Daniel appointed himself as a committee of one. He had a one-man prayer meeting that shook the nation. And finally, the angel of the Lord appears in Daniel's living room, taps him on the shoulder and says, Do not be discouraged. On the first day you prayed, I heard the prayer. On the first day you asked for breakthrough, God set it into motion. The first time that you raised your petition before the King of Kings and the Lord of Hosts, He heard your cry and He put it in the mail, express delivery overnight. But I got it. I'm trying to deliver it. But there was a war in unseen places for 21 days. And there's been a war over your life for the destiny that God's spoken. There's been a war over your family for the miracles that you've been contending for. It is not that God is slack concerning His promises, for in fact, all of His promises are yes and amen. It's that the greater the destiny, the closer the breakthrough, the more vociferous the warfare. Oh, come on, friend, there is a war right now in heavenly places over this region. That's why you're experiencing some of the flack that you are. That's why you're feeling like, man, I slept all night, but I'm still exhausted when I wake up in the morning. That's why you feel like I got a spirit of heaviness that tries to follow me just about everywhere I go. Because there is a greater battle than you have ever imagined going on in heavenly places. But I've got good news. The answer is on the way. So you got to stand in that place of endurance and you got to stand in that place of perseverance knowing the one who began your journey going to be faithful to finish it and he is not done yet. Do not be discouraged. On the first day, I heard your prayer. I love what Elisha says. He says, open the window and shoot your shot in faith. Hear me, friends. Success is obedience. Let God handle the outcomes. Before we ever walk through this door, before we ever go through this window, 
The arrow of the Lord flies first to mark the territory for victory. Watch what Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 49. He says, listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me like a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. If I could rewrite that prophetic declaration for our context today, it would sound like this. Pursuit, you're an arrow in the hand of God. Your words are a sharp sword that he uses for the tearing down of strongholds. Your cooperation is the necessary partnership to bring his kingdom to earth. Give attention to these words, you people from afar. The Lord has called pursuit from the womb. He has made your mouth like a sharp sword. He has hid you in the shadow of his hand. He has made us like a polished arrow. And now let us open the window and shoot our shot in faith. In Psalms 45, David says this, let your sharp arrows pierce the heart of the king's enemies. Let nations fall beneath your feet. In Psalms 27, 4, David says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Friend, can I tell you, children are not a distraction from more important work. They are our most important work. And that's why there's been such a war for kids in our culture today. <laughs> and that's why a church that is concerned about its ability to reproduce would do well to focus on inspiring and empowering the next generation, not with a junior-sized Holy Spirit, but with the full real deal to make a dent in the world around them. Oh, Fred, God gives us people as arrows to establish footholds in the enemy's territory. God sends people into places. In Acts 18, the Bible says this, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. In 2 Kings 6, Elisha says, Do not be afraid, for the army that fights for us is larger than the one that is against us. Here's what I know about God, is that well before a church ever shows up in a region, God begins to hide pastors and prophets and evangelists and apostles and teachers and disciples and moms and dads and graphic designers and creatives in caves all across the region just waiting for somebody to be bold enough to declare His kingdom has come and his will will be done. And then all of a sudden you make the announcement, you cast your net on the other side and God sends the people. We are not waiting on him, he is waiting on us. And when God finds a people who are just bold enough to believe him at his word, watch all of the people he sends out of hiding. You know what God says over this community? I've got more people in Seattle than you can imagine. I got more people in the Northwest as an inheritance than you can ever imagine. That's why David prays in Psalms 2, for my inheritance, give me the nations. God uses people as arrows to 
fly into enemy territory to mark the land, to prepare the way. Friend, in this context, the arrow wasn't meant to hit the enemy. It was meant to chart a prophetic course of action. Open the window to the east and shoot. It was common in that era of warfare for a commander to shoot an arrow into the enemy's territory to signify that the charge was about to begin. It served as a visual representative that now the time has come to advance. So friend, with that in mind, let me tell you a story. There was a man by the name of Robert the Bruce. He was king of the Scots from 1306 to his death in 1329. He led the armies of Scotland during the first war of Scottish independence. Robert the Bruce would eventually die from leprosy prior to being able to join the Crusades in fighting to retake Jerusalem from the Muslim invaders. The legend goes, just prior to his death, Robert the Bruce instructed his generals to cut out his heart and carry it with them in a silver casket until they finally reached Jerusalem to fight. And on the night before their greatest battle, the general of the army stood before his soldiers, held up the heart of Robert the Bruce, threw it in the direction of the enemy and announced, tonight we fight for the heart of the king. And friend, tonight in Seattle, we fight for the heart of the king. We contend for those who stand in the valley of decision. We wage war against the principalities and powers that have blinded people to Christ. Tonight, we fight for the heart of the king. Here's where, got, here's where I'm going to end. In verse 18, the Bible says, Elisha said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. And he struck it three times, but he stopped. And the man of God was angry with Joash. He said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. And then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now you will only defeat the enemy three times. Friend, I am convinced that most people are satisfied with about half of the breakthrough God has invited them into. Elisha says, strike the ground, and Joash does, but not enough to have total victory. And this is the moment I feel like we're in as a church. God has given us arrows to take the region. But he's looking for a people who will strike the ground and keep on striking. Not just until we have momentary victory, but until the glory of God fills the whole earth. And Elisha in his final breath is instructing Joash. He's giving him keys to the kingdom. He's giving him wisdom on how he can have victory from the enemies of God. And he says, Joash, just strike the ground. He does it three times and three times is enough. But I'm telling you, friend, we're going back to Seattle tonight because I'm going to strike the ground until revival comes out. I'm going to strike the ground until living water begins to flow. I'm going to strike the ground until the fullness of God's glory is revealed in that place. I am convinced 
there is still water in the ground of the Northwest. Come on, friends, stay standing. Let me end here. I wish every door would open after one knock. I wish every request would be granted after one time before the judge. I wish every prayer would be answered after one time at the altar, but I have learned the art of striking the ground until we have total victory. Don't quit speaking to the dry bones until they live. Don't quit prophesying to the four winds until they blow. This is why we're going back. I know there is living water and I'm not gonna quit striking until it floods the Northwest. My prayer for you as a people is that God would grant you the persistence, the courage, and the endurance, not just to have faith in the midst of your crisis, but to have follow through in the midst of your peace. That every day would be another opportunity to dedicate your development and your upward mobility to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That you wouldn't give up in the middle of tough seasons. That you wouldn't just be satisfied with partial victory. But that you as a man or as a woman of God would stand in that place of contending until everything that is in God's heart is displayed in and through your sphere of influence. Friends, you were created for more. You were created for more. You were created for more. Grab a hold of the hem of his garment and don't let go. Put your hand to the plow and do not look back. This is our moment. This is our hour. May God grant us the strength to do what he's asked us to do. Let me pray for you. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, we ask that you would develop inside of us a spirit of courage, perseverance, long-suffering, endurance. That in the midst of the different seasons of life that we walk through, we would tune our heart to the attention of heaven and find ourselves lost in worship to the one who is worthy. God, I pray that you would strengthen us in our innermost that we would lean not on what we understand, but instead on what you have foreknown from the very foundations of the earth. I declare over you, friends, you will not give up. You will not give up on your journey. You will not give up on your family. You will not give up on your marriage. You will not give up on the journey that he's called you to. You will not give up on discipleship. You will not give up on church. You will not give up on community. I declare over you today that God would strengthen your feet that you would walk in the way you should go and never turn from it. God, in this season, we consecrate ourselves under the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we say, God, do what you must, do what you will. If you will be our God, we will be your people. We say, here are we, God, send us. We'll follow you wherever you go. Father, we love you, God, we honor you. Oh, we thank you that you're at work. May our consistency and follow through honor you most. Pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.